When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea, and I'm joined by Adrian Martini. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you, Sarah. I'm right here in lovely Oneonta, New York. Nice, nice. Has summer arrived there yet? Oh, with a vengeance. <laughs> it went Arr. from uh, pretty much winter to 90 degrees. Yeah, so the East Coast specializes in doing that. It really does. It's it's our thing. You know, we all have to have a thing. This is ours. Uh, yeah, I went for my first heat, hot, humid, gross long run on Saturday. Uh-huh. Uh, wish I'd left an hour earlier than I did. By the oh. time I got home, I was just a drowned rat, apparently. <laughs> just kind of lay down on the floor for a while. So, Oh my gosh. Well, I am entering the, the oven, so to speak. Um, as we record this on June 1st, I am flying tonight on a red eye to Maryland so that I can um, MC the Zuma Annapolis race. I'm very excited to go back to there. And I am staying in Chevy Chase with my best friend from high school, who I'd give a shout out to, but I don't think she listens to the podcast. (laughs) Um, So, um, but I am then on Sunday evening having dinner with a couple of um, mother runners, including Jen Rucker, who I know does listen to this podcast. So whoa, whoa, Jen. And with our role mother triathlete with Sarah Wasner Flynn. And then um, a guy friend of mine from way back when um, and his wife. You know guys? I I do actually have. It's funny. In my previous (laughs) life, I actually had, I was friends with more men. Um, And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So a carryover from when I was a kid who I was um, up until fifth grade, I only had one friend who was a girl and I had just tons of friends who were boys yeah I was a little bit of a um tomboy back in the day so yeah 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 so um so what have you been knitting of late well I currently have two projects going Mm. um I am working on a fair isle scarf no way which is okay fair isle means two colors Oh, I do. oh to me, Fair Isle is like the I did not know that it's uh you know I grew up in the eighties so I, and in Connecticut. Enough right. said. I know so from Fair Isle sweaters. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's that. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, oh. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be a super long scarf, mm-hmm. and I'm using a yarn that I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Um, that has some cashmere in it. Ooh, soft. Um, uh-huh. I know all the knitters are like, ooh, that sounds great. <laughs> um. So, but it's a project that's probably easily going to take me for the rest of the year. I kind of do a little bit of it and then put it down and do something else. Do you, do you knit less as the weather heats up? I do. Mm-hmm. I do. Cause I'm a wuss. <laughs> Cause I assume that knitting is a little warm because you got all that wool <laughs> yes. sitting in your lap or the yes. wool cashmere blend. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, but here that's really only, there's maybe two months where about it's five minutes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it feels like about five minutes uh-huh. where it's really too warm to have all of that all over you. Uh-huh. Um, and then it turns. So 
It's kind of ironic, though, because as a needle pointer, I actually find that I needle point less in the summer. And it's not like I hold, you know, I have a bag of right. all my materials next to me. They're not in my lap. I mean, the canvas is, but it has holes in it. So it's ventilated. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, and, but uh, you know, I sort of feel like I should be doing more of it because it's longer daylight hours. Yeah, but and... you also have other stuff to do in the summer, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I you can... can actually be in your yard and... Mm-hmm. Right, right. Stuff. Yeah, I so. find that my l- thing I like doing lately is reading on our front porch in the evening. That um, sounds nice. Yeah, and because then, you know, the, the sound, the family sounds are very muffled when you're out right. there. <laughs> <laughs> and um so yeah so i was um when we we're uh we we're driving back from uh let's central oregon and i was like oh and jack was driving i thought oh i should have brought my needlepoint because i like needlepoint in the car because the light's really good I, and, and um but i was like oh yeah no i guess i don't really needlepoint very much now that it's summertime and so yeah that's just the natural rhythm of crafting you just you don't do it as much in this in the summer when you have other stuff that you're doing so the, the ebb and flow of crafting the ebb and flow of your craft yeah. so and what's your second project that you're uh, working the on the second project it's actually a skirt a skirt get out of here for it. uh it's designed actually by a pacific northwest um knitting designer hippie uh-huh uh, well there are a lot of them out there uh, i was gonna say I'd, that's redundant uh-huh yes <laughs> but i met her at a knitting retreat and got to try the skirt on and i never would have thought that i would be knitting a skirt mm-hmm. i never would have thought it either to tell you right? to tell you the truth <laughs> i'm totally with you i am with you 100 percent um but i tried it on and i realized that it made my behind look absolutely fantastic so i'm like i this looks fun so I think you need to send me a link to that, and I will okay. hyper hyperlink to it in the description. <laughs> so. I will. I will. So, um, so, you, but you have been speaking of hot weather, um, and running. You have been in a place that it's much warmer. You've been out yes. in Florida with your mother. So, um, how is she doing? And um, how did you feel about your running getting sidelined for about a week? Talk to us uh, about all that. Yeah. Um. It got a little more intense than I'd anticipated. Um, I went down because, she, and my mother lives in Lee, Florida, which is near nothing. Um, <laughs> and that's not capital N, like it's a town called nothing. No, 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 no. No, I mean it's it's nothing. Um, it's very scenic, but uh, nothing. The closest town is Valdosta, Georgia, which is still forty-five miles away. And which still doesn't ring any bells. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies um, to the people who live there. <laughs> is actually quite nice. Um, as I oh, I have no doubt it's nice. It's just, um, you know, it doesn't have quite the name recognition as, say, a Chicago or a Detroit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so you, I fly into um, Jacksonville, and then it's an hour and 45-minute drive from mm-hmm. there to mm-hmm. my house. Okay. Um, so she just had to have, not just, but she had to have a heart catheterization because she had a weird little blip on a stress test. Mm-hmm. And we all thought, well, they'll just go in, they'll do that, they'll look around, maybe put a stent in, call it a day. Good enough. And she'll be back later that afternoon. Well, what happened was, and then I would fly out the next day. So what happened was they got in, they looked around and said, oh, yeah, uh, you're going to need a quadruple, quintuple, quintuple bypass. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, I thought you only had four chambers of the heart. Right? See, that's what I thought, too. So he showed me a diagram, and I said, yep, that would be quintuple. Wow. Uh, so 
that kind of changed the circumstance quite a bit. So mm-hmm. she had the bypass the next day. Wow. Um, and I, I mean, of course, rearranged everything um, so that I could be there pretty much then for the rest of that week. And then I absolutely had to get home. Mm-hmm. Um, so now she's doing all right for somebody who's just had a bypass. Mm-hmm. Um, the number of bypasses really doesn't matter once they've kind of cracked your chest open, you kind of, you know, whatever they're Mm -hmm. in there. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, she's in a rehab center, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of getting her strength back and Mm -hmm. learning how to redo a bunch of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. and maybe going into assisted living, uh, a couple of weeks. So Mm -hmm. it's been intense, uh, parents getting older, it's just rough yeah Mm -hmm. i mean what are you gonna do yeah (laughs) and it just keeps Uh, happening like (laughs) there's no reprieve from it nope um so you know it is what it is Uh but uh when i was down there so i wound up in valdosta because that's where they did the heart calf oh uh um and when it was we discovered that she would be having the surgery there um rather than drive the 45 minutes back and forth to her house. I just got a hotel room in Valdosta. Mm-hmm. Um, and also did things like I was near a target and I realized I hadn't packed enough underpants. So I <laughs> had to go buy underpants. <laughs> uh, you know, these things happen. Uh, and there's actually a wonderful group of soul sisters who uh, made sure that I felt well taken care of, even though I was alone in duress. Without clean underpants, so I do want to say thank you to all of them. Oh, so, so, so the women, so the mother runners you've met through the community, or yep. Oh, how, yep. That's awesome. That's yeah, really it was awesome. pretty awesome. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. So you know we're working through that, but on a happier note, mm-hmm. I want to know about how your super duper duper long run with your friend Will went. Yes. Speaking of male friends, look at that. Yeah, I <laughs> Suddenly, I sound like a woman who has loads of male friends. <laughs> so yes so thanks for asking so will is our to recap to bring back the you know recurring character of will um so he and i stand corrected he is running his first marathon on his 60th birthday which is the day before father's day so i thought three stars were aligning just two are on the actual day this is no good yeah right blinds and that's that story's blown um so but will lives up in seattle and so he's following a train like a mother plan and I he sometimes will call or text in a slight bit of a panic about some run that he's nervous about or something. So I was like, hey, Will, what? And we love when Will visits. Just the whole family just loves it. And right. so he um, journeyed down for the weekend from Seattle, which is a quick three mile, three hour drive. Three miles. like three miles. Three miles, yeah. Did you know they were that close? Um, <laughs> a three hour drive. And so he came down on Friday night and I served us a good pasta dish and um, and he was very appreciative of that. And so then we set off the next morning and um, followed a course that um, is somewhat um, part of the Portland Marathon course. And so we were doing we were doing well. And I, you know, I thought he started out a little fast. So I kind of reined him in a little bit on that. And I told him that we were running his pace. And so then he's at about eight and a half, though, he had um, he was calling it a hamstring 
feeling right. strain in his hamstring. He kept pointing sort of toward it. looked a little bit like cross between groin and hamstring. Right. And so I thought, oh, no, no, no. It's just way too early to be having right. something go wrong. <laughs> um, and um, I also knew that Jack was going to be out showing houses he's a real estate agent and so right. i thought oh the clock's ticking like if we're gonna get a ride home we gotta we gotta make a call <laughs> on this right now make it a determination so we kept going and just occasionally he'd have to stop to stretch it and um uh so and oh he really loved the saint john's bridge which is the bridge you go across in the portland marathon it was designed by the same architect who designed the golden gate bridge so it has okay. very beautiful neoclassical lines and um it's not orange it's kind of a pale bluish greenish color and so um still stretched a couple times and then he definitely was slowing down and i have to say it's unusual to run next to someone different when you're used to running next to a running partner so i'm right. very i didn't realize how much i'm accustomed molly has a very prancy style of step very <laughs> light and fast on her feet she's and like a pony she is she is yes. like a little show pony and she has a very <laughs> unique way of holding her hands in a very um almost dainty way right. and um so then so the, like the second i started out with will i'm like oh goodness he shuffles a little bit with that one foot and he leans forward a lot more. And so huh. it's just like out of my peripheral vision, I could tell it wasn't my little prancy pony Molly, right. <laughs> you know, kind of the more Clydesdale will, even though he's probably weighs less than I do. I mean, he's um, a very fit guy. So anyway, so I could tell that his shuffle, um, then again, fast forward to like about, you know, mile 12, 13, 14, his shuffle was kind of coming back oh. and, and with a little bit of a vengeance and right. so I sometimes do these active drills, and I think I've said this before in the podcast when I was talking about Boston, but in it, the guy who leads the drills is the professional runner, Dathan Ritzenhine, and right. he will say, oh, and you want to practice these so that if you need to change things up in a race, you can. And I always thought, well, I'm not going to do butt kicks in a race. Like, right. what's up with that? But what it means is that you break the kinetic chain that you're in, that your body is doing the same motion, and in this case, shuffle, 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 over and over mm -hmm. and over again. And so I'm like, hey, Will, let's skip. Right. And and he was very open to the whole thing. I mean, he really went in with a great attitude. And so we skipped. And when we hmm. stopped skipping, and, you know, I don't know, maybe we did it for 20 steps, 30 steps. Right. Um, and when we stopped, the shuffle was gone. Huh. And so then a couple miles, you know, a mile or two later, I could hear the shuffle coming back. And I'm like, okay, let's time to skip. Because I just also thought, okay, I'm not going to try to teach him one of the more, you know, we're not going to grapevine. We're not yeah. going to do, you know, <laughs> right, high knees right. or something that's really going to yeah. tire us out. So skipping seemed to break that kinetic chain just dandy. And um, so we were probably by about, though, oh, it was very fun at mile 15. Right around mile 15, we hear um, this cyclist come up and be like, hey, what are you doing on the road? Da, 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 da. And we both turn and we're like, hey, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> and she, uh, she was messing with us and she figured I had told her our route. So, she, I, you know, it's a common route. But I think she probably was like, oh, maybe I'll see Sarah and Will. And um, um, I do have to share a few tales. Um, one was... Oh, God. Did she sprinkle change in front of you? To oh, keep you oh, my gosh. Okay, well, so the two oh, things that, because people are going to ask, I got to tell a story about change and about um, peeing. So, <laughs> you know, um, here I am with a guy, and, and so Will, within the first 30 steps, is like, Hey, you know, I do this when I run. He totally does a snot rocket. He's like, and, and he's divorced. And his girlfriend's name is Kathy, and I love Kathy. And he's like, Kathy, it really bothers Kathy when I do that. I'm like, dude, 
I love that. I'm so all all, all about that. So, um, so he was snot rocketing, but so I had stopped maybe at mile, I don't know, eight or nine and gone into a cafe and used their restroom. And then at mile 15, I was like, well, I sort of got to pee. Like I don't have to be a lot, but it would be nice. And so we had stopped to goo. And so there was a, um, oh gosh, what a guardrail. And so I was like, oh, I've got a new way of doing this. And so I just put positioned myself so that my bum was on the one side of the guardrail and my feet and most of my legs were on the other side and just peed right through my capris. And the guardrail served as like a little, you know, barrier for stopping, stopping things. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Sarah. (laughs) And so this is when he's like, right, Will's like, right there, we're talking, we're gooing. (laughs) uh, But so then, so both of us, both of us were totally looking for change right and so maybe a mile after the peeing stop um pee the pee goo stop um we were get got to an intersection and there was a um plaid pantry which is kind of like a 7-eleven or cumberland farms and a convenience store that is the generic term for what it was (laughs) so there was a light there and i said hey will you know go you know go press the walk signal and i'm going to look through this parking lot for change so I do that, and he is very fastidious about throwing out his goo wrappers. Right. And so he saw... As a, one should be. Yes. Yeah. But versus, I had, like, I put another one in my pocket or something, right. you know, for him. And so, because um, my bull- Saucony Bullet Caprice have right. these lovely big pockets. I love those pockets. <laughs> and uh, so he walks toward this garbage can that was on the other side of a bus shelter. And as he's walking past the bus shelter, he sees a penny. And I'm like, no way. You wouldn't have seen that if I hadn't looked through the, the parking lot. You ought to give that to me. And he's like, no, it's mine. Oh, good. <laughs> so then we run a little bit further. And this is a true Portland story because there was, unfortunately, there was a um, homeless woman sleeping on the curb. Right. And so we look at her, to, you know, sort of to make sure she's okay. And there, right next to her, is a shiny quarter. And, and I was like, I get all shit. And so Will was like, keep running, Sarah. Just keep running. You can't pick that quarter up. Like, I didn't say it out loud, but he knew. So then finally at around, I don't know, mile 18, I found a penny. And then at mile, like, 19.9, I found my own quarter that did not possibly belong to a homeless person. <laughs> But and the so, universe said, good, Sarah. Yes. Good. So, and, um, oh my gosh, I have to give kudos to Will because I stupidly turned off my GPS at one point at a light. And, I, oh, at that light where he found the penny, I was so distracted by the arguing over it that I didn't turn <laughs> it back on for about a third of a mile. And then I'm like, oh, Will, I'm so sorry because I got to run until it says 20. Like, and I was like, so we debated whether, you know, whether I should run ahead and come back because his pace definitely slowed down considerably. And I could have, you know, done a, added on a third of a mile and still not really gone ahead of him. And so, but he was like, I'm going to wait till mile 19 to see how I feel. Going to wait. Cause I'm like, cause I really want us to finish together. Right. And at mile 19, he said, nope, we're going the whole, you know, we're going until your GPS says 20. And at gosh, at like mile, like, 19.8 I start or like 19 and three quarters I'm like come on Will stay with me stay with me because by that point he was anywhere from five steps to half a block behind me right and um I'm like come on stay with me we're gonna finish this thing strong I was just like saying anything that came into my mind exactly like I don't know I don't know 200 meters to go suddenly a fire gets lit under will and he <laughs> takes off and it's on this curve and i'm like having to sprint to catch up with them <laughs> we 
were just so excited and he was so proud and I was so proud of him. And we did um, the active drills with the dynamic flexibility before and after. And he was like, the next day he's like, I feel so good. And, um, and he works with a bunch of runners and one of whom was going to be a pacer for the 315 group in a marathon. Sure. So that means that dude can probably run a sub three marathon, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, easily. So he runs with all these, you know, people. And I talked to him maybe four days later. He's like, I've been telling everybody in my office about the run and how well we did. And so it was, it was very rewarding. And what I have learned is when you run at a significantly slower pace than your own, it feels really great. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Although there aren't many who have slower paces than me. But I have done it on occasion. Yeah. Right. right. And I just, I mean, I was so, and it was just so exciting to share it with him. And yeah. it was a great day for running. It was overcast and the rain held off and it was just, and I was, I was actually feeling peppy the entire way. Um, so, which maybe makes people want to throw their phone to the ground well, and step sometimes. on it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, so when I'm doing my 20 milers in prep for the New York city marathon, are you going to come out and be peppy? Is that oh. your, uh, is that your plan? Uh, well, I think you might, you know, bonk me on the head. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, my, my marathon mantra, shut up, shut up, shut up. Excellent mantra. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, there's, there's no kind of natural lead in from our conversation about 20 milers into our topic. So our show today is about a topic I've wanted to cover for about two years, ever since I went on a group run with our second guest, Doa El Hagan. With Doa and our first guest, who is one of the founders of the Muslimas on the Run, we're going to talk about, well, running while Muslim, the practical aspects as well as the societal ones too. But first, we're going to take a break. Please stay with us. So I want to welcome Monica Wallace, who is one of the co-founders of a group called Muslimas on the Run, which aims to foster a strong sisterhood of Muslim women through movement. Thank you for joining us, Monica. Thank you for having me. So first up, please tell us about yourself, such as where you live, how many kids you have, and if you work outside the home other than organizing Muslimas on the run. Sure. And um, again, thanks for having me on the program. I'm pretty excited to kind of help uh, explain Muslimas on the Run organization. But a little bit about myself. I'm actually a mother of three, a mm-hmm. mother and a wife of three children. Um, I live right outside of Raleigh, North Carolina, in a, in a little town called Cary. Um, so if you're familiar with Duke, UNC, and that big oh. rivalry, I'm all in the mix of that. <laughs> um, I'm originally um, from Philadelphia, born and raised, and I relocated here about 10 years ago. Um, and this is where I've made my home. Um, I have two uh, teenagers. Um, one that will be graduating from high school next year and one just starting high school. And then I have an older uh, adult, uh, a son who uh, has struck out on his own. Um, And so I have two kids here in the home. Mm -hmm. Um, By day, I work actually for a health insurance company working on a lot of managed care, health care regulatory policy initiatives. Mm -hmm. Um, And at night, I'm that mom and you know wife that uh, many of us live those dual lives. Um, but that's that's a little bit about me. Mm-hmm. Right. So now that we know a little bit about you, can you tell us about your running? When did you start sure. and why? 
Absolutely. Um, I began my running journey in 2012. So it's, it's a very, um, I'm very new. I like to say I'm still new to the whole running world. Mm -hmm. And prior to that, I I never ran in high school or, you know, I I ran around obviously as a kid younger, but I was not um, active in any type of organized sports or just physical activity for most of my life. Um, Probably, uh, you know, early 2012, you know, trying to lose weight and trying to really combat the onset of, you know, obesity related diabetes is what kind of set me out on the, on the pavement, picking up pounds over the years and not understanding the implications it was having on my health, you know, going to my doctor and and knowing and being told that I was borderline, you know, um, uh, obese and would have obesity related diabetes if I did not really take charge of my health, set me out on the pavement. I'm married to a runner and my husband, when we met, you know, he ran probably about five miles every day. And I always thought he was just crazy. Um, and the, idea of, <laughs> the idea of running one mile, let alone five miles, just really, I just didn't think it was, it, it was just the craziest thing in the world. Um, but I really, you know, wanted to see my children grow. Um, and I wanted to avoid sticking a needle in, in, in me every day. So I got out on the pavement and I started actually running with an organization called Black Girls Run. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, kind of other women in my neighborhood um, on the same mission. Um, they have a great model of the whole no, leave no woman behind. So I felt I didn't feel out of place. Um, you know, I could kind of go at my pace and be supportive and meet other moms just like me who were, you know, some who were already active and some who were just getting off the couch. Um, and I did that and I began to sort of build these, uh, this bonding time right before, you know, the day gets started. We would meet early in the morning. Um, and I actually enjoyed the social connection more so than I enjoyed the running part. Mm-hmm. Um, but lo and, be- lo and behold, you know, after a few months, I just kind of got hooked. You know, I, I believe like I was having a great time, you know, meeting new people. Um, and I also, you know, was, it was yielding results. I began to lose weight. You know, my um, glucose levels um, leveled out, went mm-hmm. back to my doctor and she said, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Wow, that's great. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's interesting that you bring up um, Black Girls on the Run because I sort of wondered whether Muslimas on the Run was kind of inspired by that. And and um, mm-hmm. if you could if you could kind of tell us about the the start of it. And uh, we know it was founded sure. less than three years ago there in North Carolina, but it has already expanded to places like Atlanta, Seattle, and Detroit. And and I'm going to just admit up front that, and I'm kind of shamefaced to admit that when I first learned about your group, I thought the word. Muslimas was kind of a clever portmanteau of the word Muslim and mama. But then I have, ah. I, I was like, oh, that's perfect. And then I have um, come to realize it's a word that means a, a female Muslim. So, um, so if yeah. you could, if you could tell us about the, the genesis of your, of your group. Sure. Um, and, you know, Black Girls Run definitely was the inspiration for, for starting Muslimas on a run. Um, being African-American myself, that, you know, when I joined that group and I began to, once I got hooked and I actually ran my first 10K race at the uh, um, 
inaugural Black Girls Run 10K that they now have every year um, in Atlanta. That was mm-hmm. my very first organized race event. And of course, I was hooked after that. But one of the things that was so inspiring for me was just not feeling like the odd man out, feeling, feeling you know, part of a larger organization because I saw other people who look like me mm-hmm. um, in most organized race events. You know, the African-American presence, especially before Black Girls Run, was very, you know, few and far between. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so just seeing other women looking like me really inspired me. And, you know, it wasn't until maybe six months after I did that first race that I began to look for other Muslim women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was, you know, I, I wear the hijab, which is the Muslim um, a specific style of dress that Muslim women wear, where we cover, you know, most of our body, you know, our skin is not exposed, our hair is not exposed. So even though I found sort of my, my niche or my home with feeling comfortable not being the only African-American, I still felt that I'm alone, in, so to speak, because I was the only, you know, Muslim woman that I could visibly, you know, identify with at some of these races. Um, so I, I began just kind of talking to people in my community, other Muslim women who, you know, had the sort of same issues I have, you know, they're busy moms and wives, they may have, you know, health problems that they're, you know, not really being very successful at, at challenging. And I, you know, began to talk to them and say, hey, why don't you come out on a run with me? Or, you know, I joined this organization. And obviously, Muslim women are all races, you know, all ethnicities and backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking about a large group of people. Mm-hmm. But the one I, common factor was, you know, by and large, you know, the, the dress, the style of dress, as well as, you know, the the uniqueness um, that sometimes the Muslim woman um, faces certain barriers of just being out in mixed gender events, you know, sort of being out um, amongst large crowds and sometimes not feeling comfortable, especially our place in the world with, you know, Islamophobia being um, more prevalent in the past and Muslim women just not really feeling comfortable. So that was a, a lot of the initial reaction that I got from other Muslim women that I talked to, you know, about their uh, hesitancy to joining, you know, some of these uh, race race events or just going out for a jog in, you know, in our neighborhoods. Um, but I just kept persisting because I knew that um, part of the barrier was just seeing other people like you, just with Black Girls Run. So, you know, I would just say, hey, let's go out and let's go for a walk on the trail. It'll just be me and you. Mm-hmm. And, and then I would take a picture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would take a picture. <laughs> And then I would post that on, you know, my social media account, be it Facebook or Instagram, and just say, hey, you know, me and my friend, we went out for, you know, a a 30-minute walk today. And just that picture was just so powerful at seeing someone else like you, Mm. um, and it began to catch on. So week after week, um, I would, you know, continue to meet with my run partners, and I would invite, you know, a Muslim woman, another Muslim woman. And then the next thing you know, more and more women began to come out. Um, The organization itself kind of started um, by happenstance. So my intent wasn't to go out and create a a different group um, or create a run-in organization, but just seeing it grow and seeing how many people just needed that motivation or that inspiration to get out there. And as you know, with social media, you can reach the world. Mm -hmm. Um, So I began to get, you know, comments or inbox from people in other locations, you know, as you mentioned in Detroit or in DC or in Seattle and say, Hey, well, I'm here, I'm running all alone. You know, I need that type of support too. And so I decided let's go ahead and create sort of this, you know, a group that where we can give each other virtual inspiration. Um, In some cases, 
We have clusters of Muslim women in, in large metropolitan areas like a Dearborn or a Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. In other cases, you may be in Norman, Oklahoma, and you're the only one like you. So I created the group just as an inspiration to give that those lone runners um, or, you know, small communities some support, virtual support. And then, you know, it just get, continued to grow um, into a point where me and my other two co-founders felt that we should really probably, you know, create a group um, and, and make sure that we're supporting the, the women um, in the best way that we can. Nice. So in terms of that support, kind of on a practical level, do you all go on group runs? Is it Mm-hmm. Um, is there something that all the chapters have in common? Sure. So all of the chapters, we, we, we definitely try to get together on a weekly basis and, ha- and go on group runs. Um, I would say here in the, in the Raleigh-Durham area where the Muslim is going to run started, uh, we do that probably, we, we are fairly consistent with doing that on a weekly basis. In other areas, it may be um, less frequent. Um, it may be on a monthly basis. And it's not always centered around running. Um, we have our group in Baltimore where they, they actually get together and they go, they do a group workout. Sometimes that workout is walking or running. Sometimes that workout may be Zumba or something, you know, that, that you know, that meets the needs of those uh, women in that area. Um, in all of our chapter areas, you know, we establish, you know, weekly um, or monthly group activities where the local folks can take part of that. We also try to annually get together um, and do a national meetup. Mm-hmm. And that's just to get kind of give support to those folks that may, you know, they may be an area where there isn't a local chapter, but they still feel the connected, you know, the connection to Muslims on Iran. They, they feel the camaraderie, you know, that we we hand out over social media. Uh, we try to kind of publish a race calendar. So for all, a lot of our runners that travel, such as myself, I travel a lot for races. So when I'm coming into a new city, we'll arrange meet, you know, meetups um, so that the women in that local area can at least meet with some of the members of Muslims on a run and get a group run in together. Um, but our national annual meetup is always great. It's a blast because it mm-hmm. allows people to kind of, you know, really feel that interconnectedness with the group. Um, and it's obviously fun traveling to different places and meeting different right. people and then just hearing a little bit more about, you know, what may be their struggles in their local community, which may be different, you know, depending on where you're at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So on the Muslimas website, the two rules of um, kind of group interactions are everyone is expected to participate and uphold a positive attitude, which is mm-hmm. a great rule for work or family life. But talk to us about how that directive fits into the sisterhood goal of your group. Sure. And I think when we talk about my, my co-founders, um, Rachel Dan, um, who's still very active with the group, and another co-founder, Darietta Lee, who's since retired from the, the leadership role of the group, we, you know, we talk long and hard about when we decided to formalize the group. I don't think I mentioned, but we had been running together, a small group of us, maybe 10 to 15 of us women, um, for pro- probably about a year mm-hmm. before we decided to formalize the group. And we said, let's kind of, you know, talk talk about what we want to get out of this group and how not just we individually will get something out of it. How can we impact our communities? How can we make this a beneficial thing um, besides the obvious benefits of better health for the Muslim community at at large? And so one of the things that, you know, and, and you guys know this as runners, you know, runners could be such great people and running really has the ability to kind of break down artificial barriers. You have runners from all walks of life, 
you know, different backgrounds, you know, different religions, different ethnicities, and, you know, running kind of is that common thread. Um, even within the Muslim community, you have many different cultures. You know, Islam is a religion that is, it impacts, you know, where, where you have adherence to the faith from all over the world. So we, we, we have the common thread of practicing the same religion, but just about everything else could be different. Mm-hmm. We have different foods, you know, we eat different foods, we speak different languages, we have different do's and don'ts in terms of cultural taboos. Um, so the, all of those various things can come into play. And if you don't kind of uphold that positive attitude um, and set that as sort of a rule up front, it's easy to, you know, have those differences um, sort of get in the way of what we're trying to do. And that is build that sisterhood. So how can I make someone who was born in another country, speaks another language, dress, you know, uses a, a different style of dress, you know, eats different foods, how can I relate to that person besides we worship, you know, the same God? What other things can we make in common and what other, you know, positive interactions can we focus on while we're running? So we, you know, that's kind of, that, that was our goal when we, we stated out that we, we're not going to get together and talk about, you know, our differences. We're going to mm-hmm. get together and sort of bond on what makes us the same. That's right. awesome. That's awesome. And you mentioned um, cultural taboos in that. And, and earlier you had mentioned um, about running in mixed gender crowds. So yeah. could, could you kind of I, I, um, could you kind of talk about some of those things that, sure. um, you know, I think there are there are certain concerns for Muslim women that, you know, just your run in the mill Protestant white chick doesn't encounter when she, you know, thinks right. about a race she's going to run or what she's going to wear when she heads out the door. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's um, it, because of the multicultural dimension there and, and the, you know, the way Islam, you know, Islam is a, a pretty diverse, you know, in its practice mm-hmm. in, in that you have just as Christianity, you may have people that are, you know, very conservative in their thought and their approach, and then people that are not as conservative. So, for example, um, you know, let's just take the hijab or the mm-hmm. dress. Mm-hmm. While there are clearly guidelines on what the hijab means or what the hijab should do in terms of its purpose, um, the way that's implemented could change um, just because you have people who, you know, are very conservative, you know, they, they want to wear the headscarf in addition to a long abaya, which is sort of an outer covering um, that comes, let's say, down to the ankles, where someone else may choose to wear, you know, a shirt that comes to her knees. Someone else may choose a shirt that just comes to their waist. Mm -hmm. Someone else may decide that I'm not going to adopt hijab. I'm Mm -hmm. still Muslim. I still have the same, you know, uh, uh, beliefs, but I don't adopt the hijab. And so being a Muslim woman could look five, ten different ways when it comes mm-hmm. to people hitting the pavement. Um, so and in, so that's one aspect. The other aspect, as you pointed out, um, mixed gender events. You know, a lot of Muslim women who have adopted a very conservative um, approach to how they interact with the general public um, may not feel comfortable in a, a, a gathering where, you know, they're running, you know, they're, you know, right neck and neck or hand in hand or not hand in hand, but, you know, mm-hmm. elbow with, mm-hmm. uh, with men. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, you know, 
perfectly fine, but everyone doesn't have that same um, sort of approach. And then when you talk about cultural taboos, if, you know, if you're from an area where that is, you know, never done in some societies, some um, Muslim societies, the men and women have their own facilities. You know, you can go to, I uh, traveled to the UAE, United mm-hmm. Arab Emirates, and their facilities for for women are just awesome. You know, for every, you know, lifetime fitness, you know, you have a woman's side, you have a men's side. So you, I can abandon my dress because there are only other women around. Mm-hmm. I can feel comfortable. I can run on the treadmill. I can do head flips. But in <laughs> our society, you don't have that. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have that separation. So I may not feel comfortable coming from an area where I can kind of be totally free and fancy. And then now I have to worry about, you know, being in a crowd with men and not feeling as comfortable because I'm, I'm you know, I've adopted a more modest way of living. Um, so those are the type of, you know, things that do come into play. And I'm, I'm hoping Muslims on a run can be just a unifying factor and understand there's a place for everyone in this organization. There's a place for someone who feels, you know, very uncomfortable and um, wants to, you know, kind of stick to a more conservative way. And, and we, we actually sometimes target women-only races for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a place in our organization for people who, hey, I don't care. My teammate, he's a guy. I'm high-fiving. We're running hand-in-hand. Hand and, you know, we're just having a ball. So we're not here to really guide people spiritually ab- about their personal choices. We're here to help them enhance you know, their, you know, their lifestyles uh, without um, any discomfort um, that they would otherwise have in other settings. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed that you have a t-shirt on your site that reads pray fast, run, repeat on the back. Um, I am a runner who's continuously hungry, especially <laughs> if I'm running any real distance. Um, how tough is it to fast during daylight hours uh, during Ramadan and log any miles to us? Or do you just not yeah. run? No, actually, I'm, I, I love that question because I, I've just been running since 2012. The first year that I started running, I've been fasting, obviously, for much longer than that. And Ramadan is actually upon us. I, next week, oh, I we'll be starting our 30-day fast. Yes. So the first year, um, so in, it, just in terms of fasting in general, you know, this is, uh, you know, fasting every year is, is one of our pillars of faith. Um, it is difficult, like, as with anything where you're suppressing your desires, you know, your inner desires um, for a greater purpose. Um, but it is something like all things that the body adjusts. Um, and, and it becomes less difficult as time goes on. So for, mm-hmm. for a person who's been, you know, fasting 30 plus years every year, um, for me, it is not, it is not obviously a much, as much of a struggle as it has been. Now, the days are long, you know, the more activity you have, the diff- more difficult it can become. The lack of um, proper nutrition can, you know, obviously make it more difficult. So what I try, what I've been trying to do even before I started running was really kind of focus on those other things that I, I, I lacked it, you know, getting proper sleep, you know, the night before and feeding my body appropriately so that it doesn't go into this ravenous state, you know, the next day when, mm-hmm. when I'm not, when I'm not able to eat. But from a running perspective, 
I, I actually went on the first um, run during fasting my second year of running. So that would have been 2013. And it was really a mind thing. I said to myself, well, you've never tried it before. Although, you know, my mind is telling me you're going to die if you try to fast <laughs> and run. Um, I, and and I, I said, you know, well, let's try it. And I actually went out and talked to some other runners before I did it. Other Muslims that have you know, been fasting and running, you know, be it that because they're athletes. Um, we have lots of professional athletes that mm-hmm. are Muslim that, you know, fast and deal with this every day. So I just kind of went out and talked to some other folks and said, you know, how do you manage it? And I was given, you know, tips and tricks of how to do it. And I surprised myself that first year, you know, I, I just said, let me go out and try it. And I, I was able to do, you know, m- many two to three mile runs, um, probably an hour before sundown, which is, you're able to eat and drink after sundown. So I would Mm -hmm. time it so that there wouldn't be a long time between when I finished my workout and and did, um, was able to eat. And that first year I was convinced that, you know, my body can handle it. There were no negative, you know, effects of it. So while I do cut back on running, obviously during Ramadan, I no longer exit out. And, And last year, Muslims on a Run as an organization, we actually put together a campaign called Get Fit for Ramadan. And the purpose of that campaign was to say, hey, we know we have to fast every year. We still have to work out and, you know, maintain our bodies. What can we do to prepare our bodies for Ramadan so that we don't go dark, you know, for 30 days and we don't lose all of our fitness gains? And that was pretty successful. And many more women are out there now running and fasting at the same time or at least adapting their workout routine so that they don't go back to the couch, you know, for 30 days. yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So, so final question. Um, if you can share a story of a friendship or a connection made via Muslimas on the run that really stands out in your mind. Oh, I have many, but okay. I'll just yeah. share one. You could share <laughs> two. We could go with two if you want. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say the first um, story I would like to share is a woman who, another Muslima runner who um, at the time we met through social media, um, she was active in running, um, but she was not active um, in wearing hijab, and that's mm. the Muslim um, style of dress for the, for the women. And um, I, I would post my pictures, uh, as you know, as I stated, um, mm. of me running, um, it, you know, with my hijab, and I would post them in different groups that obviously weren't meant just for Muslim women. And I had this one woman reach out to me. She lived in uh, Houston, Texas, which, as you know, hot, you know, hot all the yeah, time. Hot yeah, humid. Yeah. Reached out. Yep. <laughs> she reached out to me and she said, "How could you? Ma- how do you manage running and in, in those, you know, clothes? Like it, mm-hmm. it's hot where I'm at, and and while I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, it's not as hot as Texas. You know, let's just face it. Once you get above seventy degrees, it's all relative. Mm-hmm. You know, right. you're 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 hot. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, so it's seventy, eighty, ninety. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you know, you're just hot. So she reached out and she just asked me questions. And I, you know, I had the same sort of conversation I'm having with you that about the body adjusting, of course, it's hot, but it's after a while, you know, you're not going to pass out, you're not going to die. I mean, mm-hmm. provided you still hydrate, you know, you're not going to pass out things of that nature. And I gave her little things that I did, you know, kind of putting together things to make it cooler for me, um, using sort of tennis skirts as a makeshift, you know, um, outfit that would mm. still keep me covered but keep me cool um and so she said she would try that she did obviously she was successful she actually uh followed up with me months later to say you know by the way you know thanks for your tips 
I just started wearing my hijab while running. Um, my performance hasn't went down. In fact, my performance has improved. She got oh. faster. Oh, nice. Um, and the best thing about it for me was that she said, now that I don't have, you know, I was able to do this, I decided to adopt the dress full time. So oh. not only, you know, was she, you know, able to keep running, she decided I'm going to wear hijab, not just on the pavement, but off the pavement as well. So that really was a, a you know, heartwarming story for me. It was actually kind of shocking because I didn't expect it. You know, mm-hmm. social media has the uh, ability to impact people's lives beyond what we even think, mm-hmm. you know, when we're having these interactions interactions. So it was very, very powerful for me. It also kind of speaks to the power of running that, that it makes women stronger in all facets of their life. You know, and And if you have time, I just want to tell one more. Oh yeah, no, love to love to hear one. Please, please. Yeah. Um, My mother, who is also a Muslim, um, she actually um, started walking. She said, you know, this running thing, that's just too much for me. Mm -hmm. I'm an old lady. I'm never going to do that, but I'm going to start walking. Uh (laughs) Um, And she said, I'm going to try to get some of the, you know, older women from my mosque to walk as well. And one of her motivations was that, you know, five times a day, we actually make prayers that mm-hmm. requires you to, you know, bend and kneel and mm-hmm. prostrate. Right. Um, yeah. Similar to, you know, when you do yoga, you may see someone doing these, you know, moves, you know, Muslims, you know, our prayers require all of that stretching and bending. So it can be very difficult for someone who's overweight, number one, or someone who's just simply not in shape, you know, their, mm-hmm. their joints are achy, or they, they have bad knees, or they're putting too much weight. Um, they have too much weight on, on their body. So it's, you know, they have to sit in chair. Mm-hmm. To, to make the prayers. Oh, huh. um, my, yeah. So my mother, she started walking and um, at some point she progressed. I want to run now. So she would mm-hmm. do a little run, walk, run, walk, run, walk. And while her group did not progress to the running part, she said um, after about three months, at least three of the women used to have to sit and pray in chairs um, could now stand up and actually perform, okay. you know, all of the prayer rituals. So, and that was and when she told me that, I said, and she, she actually said to me, keep doing what you're doing, um, because it's really making a difference. And I never thought I would hear that coming from my mother's you know, mouth, who would say, would you stop running you know, all these miles? You're going to kill yourself. <laughs> so that was very incredibly powerful. Um, and, very, and that was when I realized the power that you know, something like Muslims on a Run can have, not just from a health perspective, but from a spiritual perspective. It can really enhance lives on, on multiple levels. So mm-hmm. I was very proud at that time. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Monica. We really, um, it was enlightening and very interesting. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Welcome, Doa. Thanks for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of where you live, how many kids you have, all of that kind of stuff? I live in Portland, Oregon, and I have two kids, um, a boy in seventh grade and a girl in fourth grade. Mm. Uh, do you work outside the home? Do you work inside the home? Um, no. little of both. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever the work needs to get yes. done. <laughs> um, I volunteer a lot, but I'm not working. Well, nice. volunteering's work, right? you know. So, so... Please tell us a bit about your running. I know earlier this month I got to witness you both before and after your first ever half marathon. Yeah, and we'll get into that in a little bit. <laughs> 
So, but uh, how long have you been running? What got you started? Mm-hmm. Was it Cindy? Uh, kind of and other friends. So I started running just a little over four years ago. And the reason was, I guess there are a couple reasons. One was I stopped my membership at the gym, was looking for a new gym and started walking around because I always loved walking. I used to walk with my mom a lot around the tracks when I was younger. So um, from there, because we have some slopes around the neighborhood, so I started running down slope. (laughs) (laughs) And also I had my first smartphone and I had seen my friends posting on Facebook through their running apps, like I ran so-and-so. So So it just started like that. Right. And then now I think I'm addicted, I would say. Yeah, (laughs) I just love running. That's okay. We we understand. (laughs) Yes. Um, So I am a runner who is also kind of chronically warm. Um, And I was just in Florida, and the idea of even covering more than my body that I absolutely had to just makes me kind of wilt a little bit. Um, how do you think about dressing when you go out for a run? What do you need to cover? How do you keep yourself cool? And just how do you go about it? Okay, so I have been covering the wearing the hijab since I was 12 years old. So that would be 16 years old. I know everybody now will calculate my, yeah, yeah, yeah. my age, but that's I fine. Think, I don't those care. Um, so I'm, I'm used to it and, um, uh, and I always think that when it's too hot, it's just too hot for everyone kind of. And of course I wear light, like cotton, um, t-shirt and pants. Um, but so so you definitely, uh, I have to cover everything except my hands and my face. Mm -hmm. So that's including head, hair, neck Mm -hmm. and everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And then what sort of fabric is it? Because um, I got to say, when you finished your half marathon, you weren't like totally drenched in sweat. Like you didn't have, like if I wore a, if I wore a headscarf, mine would look like, a, you know, a towel after getting out of a pool or something. Like why, why, why is it not like soaking wet? Yeah, it's, um, I think it's a mix of cotton and maybe some synthetic mm-hmm. um, material, but the t-shirts were the tech t-shirt mm-hmm. right. from one of the cost plus event races mm-hmm. that's the t-shirt i love the most which brings me to the tricky part is finding a long um sleeve shirt mm-hmm. that's good enough for running oh, uh-huh. sometimes i have to do two layers so i do the stick t-shirt the long sleeve because it's very very light and then i put like a half sleeve longer shirt because right. a tricky part for me is also the t-shirt being long enough like kind of past the buttocks like covering part of the mm, hips which right. is not easy to find so oh that's a good yeah thing. and is that just is that just like is that part of religion that you feel that way or that's just uh, so oh so the hijab as far as i understand it is is not just covering mm-hmm. it's also being a bit loose mm. right. and this loose part varies from one mm. muslim to another mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um it should be the looser the better kind of but so anyway so that's why I, I, it's hard to find loose pants and kind of loose long t-shirts too right. mm-hmm. so you, that could be a challenge to running could yeah. you do kind of a wrap on your lower half like wear pants no i just wrap? found which was very strange a couple of um long t-shirts at nike oh. a couple mm-hmm. years back and uh-huh. i got a couple of those because it's hard to find long t-shirts mm-hmm. so i wear them they're half sleeves so i have to put a layer beneath oh. in the winter it's easier i find some long um i would say sweat sweaters that I can put on 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I, I would say for maybe for some others, it would be harder because they prefer to wear longer and looser than me. Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. some, it might be easier because they might be less concerned about that. So it, it's like a range. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. right. And then this is because uh, I am such a heavy sweater. Do you keep a separate headscarf for running? And then other ones. I mean, you're wearing a very pretty off-white one today. Yes. I assume you do not run in that. Yeah, I usually wear the wrap ones. I wrap scarves um, on my daily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every day. But with running, I have sort of like like a one piece that you wear. Like it's easy and breathable. So it's different. Yeah, I wear different yeah, ones It almost for seems like a, a buff or like a, not, a, not a like a loose balaclava or something yeah. like that that covers your head. It, def- it definitely looked, um, it's not as fashionable as and you don't need now. like any pins or mm-hmm. anything right it's just you just wear it and yeah mm-hmm. and you're it's done. like elastic so it stays mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. but you still haven't got to the part about why you weren't sweating like a you know, <laughs> uh, yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure if it's part of it's just getting used to it i really don't know biologically what's uh-huh. <laughs> what's the reason <laughs> um and since since we are talking about your race tell us about how that went and um and you know, uh, spoiler alert, you did have, you were seen by medic afterwards because yeah. it was such a hot, I know. sunny day. I mean, I was working a booth there and it was tough just being in the booth. Yeah. I so, um, do you feel any of that was because of being all covered up or that was just, uh, it was warm. And although I lived in warmer places mm. around the world, but I don't know why running in the warm weather isn't for me, it seems. So I ran 12 miles a couple of weeks before my Mm-hmm. half and I was totally fine I mm-hmm. didn't even had a sip of water but it was earlier in the morning mm-hmm. so it was cooler so uh, I would say maybe the weather uh, I don't I'm, I can't tell if it's the way I'm dressed or not because sure. I have tried the other way around but I don't think that's the major part I think mm-hmm. maybe I didn't hydrate enough mm. a couple of days before maybe just the, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. maybe just the heat mm-hmm yeah, because I mean, and also I pushed the pace, so I think the combination of the heat and pushing the pace on the race day, yeah, got me. Yeah. And so I think next time I have to just be more cautious with hydrating, not just the day before, maybe three to four days before. Mm-hmm. Watch what I eat. So and actually maybe refueling along the race because I don't do yeah. that. So I should start training for that. I know you indicated that you didn't take anything in. Is yeah, it? So yeah. I'm gonna have I to. Sh- I'm like have to be- shake a finger at you, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I learned like beyond. Uh, I would say 90 minutes of running, you definitely have to eat something. something yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. We might even say past 75 minutes. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Or some of us who are a little bit larger need a little bit more. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, good lessons learned then. Yeah. And, and then, sure. I mean, you you sat in the shade and we got you something to drink and it wasn't like you had an IV in your arm or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, I was yeah. fine like 15 minutes later, but thanks for hosting me in your booth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I felt like an intruder. No, Sorry. No, 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 no. No, I was pleased to be a part of it. Um, so then do you have another race on your horizon? Uh, not yet. I think it's going to be another half where I don't feel so bad afterwards. <laughs> but we'll target a fall winter one for sure. Yeah. Yeah, we have a few of those. It might be a little cloudy, a little rainy. You can deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so after I first met you, I just kept thinking about how tough it must be to be observant during the month-long observance of Ramadan. 
and to continue running somewhat regularly. So um, we talked about this with our previous guests, but um, you know, tell us what practices you follow during Ramadan, like fasting and how it affects your exercise. Okay. So fasting is basically you don't eat or drink from dawn, which is at this time of the year, it's like 3.30 a.m. Uh, well, that's the thing here in Portland. I feel like we're almost in Alaska in terms of how light yeah, it is. Exactly. And then all the way to the sunset, which is around 9. So that's exactly right. around 17 and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, but who's counting, right? right. Oh, come on. <laughs> and and yeah, we don't drink even water because this is the question we always get. Not even water, yeah, not oh. even water. Wow. So it's it get it, it's a lunar calendar, so it shifts ten days earlier every year. So oh. I, oh, like okay. in third, I mean in ten years it will be I would say. I have uh, three, four months earlier, so that's oh. gonna push it to the winter. So in the winter it's very easy. Oh sure, because you wake up and have only a little bit of an early breakfast, and then. Mm-hmm. the dawn starts and then you even have to eat before dinner time which is four thirty, so it's easy perfect uh-huh. but then in the summer it's just very long yeah so i stop running oh you do honestly in ramadan yeah um i basically stop exercising but i just practice my life so i run errands and i mm-hmm. drop the kids and i work around the home so mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i don't precisely exercise mm-hmm. this year i'm trying something different i'll try just walking oh uh-huh but then the past four years, as I said, it's just completely stopped running. And then I gear up again after Ramadan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, take it easy. Just go for a mile or two and then go from there. But uh-huh. then I think by, like I would say, um, a month or two later, I'm back on track. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't take too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you live in Portland, which is a pretty progressive place. Yeah. Um, but even there, have you felt any anti-Muslim sentiment or heard any uh, unfortunate comments while you've been out running? Or do you avoid certain areas when you're out? So honestly, I haven't experienced anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if it's, I, I'm sure Portland has to do with it, but maybe also the neighborhood that I live in. I actually get the opposite. I always get compliments mm-hmm. <laughs> because I might, uh, I'm not sure if there are other hijabis running in my neighborhood. There are many who walk but I get actually like I because I stand out so I get strangers Mm -hmm. sometimes like the bank teller or someone I haven't (laughs) met before oh are you the lady who runs (laughs) around Saltzman all the time (laughs) I'm sure people listening now are like oh that's her (laughs) 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 so um but then when I went to the coast like in this Newport last summer Nothing happened. I just avoided. Like I was like, I, I had to think twice before heading out to run. I said, um, I don't think so. I don't think anybody knows me here. Mm-hmm. So I was worried. And uh, I get sometimes uh, when um, hate statements are on the rise, I get some advice from friends. Are you sure you want to run alone? I mean, mm-hmm. the street is like, no, I think we're fine in this neighborhood. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, but I'm not sure. Maybe in other places around the States, right. it's not as easy for other muslimas yeah oh that's too bad yeah yeah so but i mean like when you run along the waterfront or something it's totally fine yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly so monica is saying that some of the muslimas are uh stay away from mixed gender races was that the reason why the race you ran was a women's race is that why you chose it or no oh no i ran um the coast plus event 
oh, okay. uh, since it started and it's a mixed race, so I'm fine with that. Okay. But I can't speak of all Muslim right. women, of course, right. or all Muslimas. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but we would like you to. So if you could really generalize. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Yeah. So, and are there any other restrictions that we're sort of not thinking of or missing out on? Uh, I don't think so. I think it comes to maybe preference but I have many of my friends they're not runners yet some just started jogging a little bit mm -hmm. maybe they're on their way to be runners mm -hmm. but they're they walk and they join me on cost plus we have a team of around 30 last oh. year hopefully it will get bigger this year uh -huh. um, we're supporting Islamic Relief USA oh, nice. uh, which helps in the states and outside with disasters and stuff so um, yeah they they walk mm -hmm. in the race and it's a mixed gender race and they're fine mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. So what advice do you give to any Muslim woman who might be listening to, you know, about thinking about taking up running? Um, it's great. Go out and run. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. I think there are more Muslims who run now. So it's, yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And hopefully this will maybe push the sports um, where companies to oh, right. <laughs> right. start like making things that more suitable for us. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And are there any kind of pro Muslimas that you look toward for like I mean Monica was saying that she sort of talked to some of them and asked what they were doing or looked up online what they were doing for Ramadan. I mean, is there any I mean, I think everybody gets really excited when they see someone in the Olympics say who's, you know, wearing a headscarf or that sort of thing. I mean, do do you feel like do you relate to them or just like hmm, whatever? Oh no, I feel I feel good of course. Yeah, mm -hmm. when I see others. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Hey, and I know this has been a long show, so I'll make this quick, but want to really encourage you to join ACAST Plus, our new subscription program that allows you to support another mother runner for $2.99 a month and gives you special exclusive content as well as access to the complete back catalog of our shows which means like if you haven't listened to like episode 60 or 72 or whatever um because episodes 1 through 100 are going to be behind a firewall which is fancy podcast term for you can't get it unless you're a member acast plus so to get this you have to download the free ACAST app. And ACAST, in case you can't understand the word I'm saying, is A-C-A-S-T, like what you wear on your foot after you fracture it, say, for instance, ACAST. Um, and then you search for Another Mother Runner, or you can go to acast.com slash Another Mother Runner, and that's where you can join ACAST Plus. And we really appreciate your support. And to everyone, many happy miles. Happy miles.